Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're with us today and ready to study the Bible with us for the next 30 minutes. And that's all we do on this program is take viewers' questions and try to find answers to them in the Bible. If you're a first-time viewer, that's, that's all we do. And uh, we'd like to have you tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. Let us know what you want us to talk about, and we'll get to your question just as quickly as we can. Uh, Toby Levering's back this morning. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. We're ready to go with uh, a lot of these good questions that folks have given us over the past weeks, and we always start with one for our viewers, so let's get that out of the way. Uh, who prepared the way for Jesus? There was one special man that prepared Jesus' way and told people he was coming, and uh, see if you know the answer to that. We'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Toby, looks like you drew number one today, so you get to start us off. I did. A viewer wants to know, what is the difference between prayer and worship? Well, the, I, I think between the two acts, there are some overlap. Uh, during a worship service on a Sunday morning, you might uh, certainly wouldn't be out of the norm to have a public prayer, someone to lead that. Uh, but there is a difference, of course, between doing that in a public setting and doing that in a private setting. Um, faith um, for a person following Christ would include both, naturally. And uh, I think uh, there are parts of uh, a ways of praying in which we adore and worship God. Uh, Jesus said when, uh, when he gave us sort of a model prayer, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or holy and reverent is your name. And that's, a, that's a, a way of worshiping. And so between the two, there are certainly some overlap. But <clears throat> I think that when we think about these two different things of prayer and worship, uh, both are done individually and they're also done collectively. And so hopefully both elements are in your life. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, this won't be on your screen, but in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I, so I think one of the things I wanted to kind of say or point out the difference is that um, on the private side of worship, adoration of God, and uh, your prayer life, these are the probably the deeper, uh, more meaningful parts of your personal and private relationship with the Lord. I think that's very, very important. If you think of an iceberg, there's just a little part that's sticking up that's noticeable, uh, but there's a much deeper part that is beneath the surface. And I think with our prayer lives and, 
especially uh, the deeper part, the more prevalent part should be the part that's not noticeable to anyone except you and the Lord. So they're distinct, unique acts, but they can overlap, and uh, hopefully that's helpful. All right, we got a beast question here. Hmm. We get quite a few about the beast and things in Revelation. This viewer wants to know, why do some people believe that a social security number is the mark of the beast? Well, the hard part of that question is the first few words. Why do some people believe? Uh, and if there's anything we've learned over the years on this program, people believe a lot of things. They, people will believe anything about everything, uh, and you just can't account for some of it. Uh, so I can't answer that question, but uh, there is a clue in the Bible why some people come up with that idea, so let's talk about that instead. Uh, the passage is Revelation chapter 12, uh, 13, Revelation 13, 16, I believe. Let's read that together. Uh, and the, John the Revelator is talking about uh, the prophecy that the whole book is about. And he's talking about a beast. This is a different beast than the ones he's been talking about. This one's from the earth. And he says, this beast, he also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. All right, so that's where this idea starts. Uh, first thing we got to reiterate is that Revelation's highly symbolic, uh, language that we don't understand all of it or <laughs> most of it. The other thing is Revelation itself says it was going to come true very soon. It was going to happen soon. John says that at the start of the book and the end of the book and we believe on this program that uh, he was writing to first century Christians telling them about the persecution and uh, that they would win eventually and Christ would overcome the beasts and all of that. Uh, so we think it took place then, and we know it. that idea did happen then. Uh, the Roman emperors persecuted Christians. Uh, they regulated commerce. The people wouldn't sell to Christians or buy from Christians. Uh, they discriminated against them economically is what happened, and that's what that verse is prophesying, we believe. Okay, but some people make the mistake of taking Revelation prophecy and trying to apply it to today. And even though it said it was going to happen soon, uh, they see everything in there is happening in the 21st century and try to make that uh, when it's going to happen. So what's the mark and how are governments or the beast going to discriminate? Well, some people seize upon Social Security numbers. That's it. Uh, if you've got a Social Security number and you're a Christian, they're going to block you from buying or selling. They're going to discriminate. They're going to kill you. Uh, some people go further than that and say it's not the Social Security number. It's the, the coming chip or the barcode that's going to be on your hand or your forehead. and uh, They're going to track you and discriminate against you and all that. While governments may do that sometime, I don't believe Revelation's talking about it. But that's why some people talk about that as a, uh, the Social Security number or some way of identifying Christians and discriminating against them. All right. The next question a viewer wants to know, or maybe it got from one of our previous answers, where does it say we are to obey God's laws when they conflict with man's laws? 
Well, this is a, a principle that is given many examples in the Old Testament and the New alike. First, let me start by saying that Romans 13 is very clear that Christians in whatever land, in whatever time, whatever uh, authority they live under, uh, were in general try, try to be good citizens of that land, to be submissive to those in authority. Um, that obviously we serve, and, and if you're a Christian, you bow your knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And some people took that to mean, well, I, I don't need to be under the authority of anyone. I don't need to pay taxes, I don't need to uh, obey the laws and so forth. Well, no, that's wrong. And Paul very clearly spells out in Romans chapter 13 that everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. And that's Romans chapter 13 verse 1. Now he says there's a reason for those authorities, the, the government set, and that's, you know, basically to protect us and to watch over the citizens and to prevent anarchy, you know, rule of the strongest. So there, there was a purpose and there is still a purpose for government and, and the laws that are set up. We may not like those. I may not like the, the speed limit on a particular road. But as part of being a good citizen, it's my honor, uh, duty to honor that and to obey that. I may not like the tax rates, but as part of being a good citizen, uh, it's my uh, duty to pay the taxes. Uh, now, if we can affect change, if we can make changes in the laws and in the authorities, which we have the privilege of in this country, that's a fine thing to do as long as we uh, do it, again, following the laws and the the. the uh, procedures of, of replacing authority, that's fine. But in general, we want to do our best to be good citizens so that we can have a good influence and an example uh, and as we live our lives. However, there may be occasions, and certainly there have been through the years, where governments make laws that directly violate what God desires. And there's many examples of this. Um, where people of faith had to choose whether they would obey God or obey the governing authorities. Uh, many examples, the Hebrew midwives when Moses was being born. Uh, they had to choose because they were commanded when one of the Hebrew babies is born to kill it. And uh, they, they chose to uh, do something different. So they were um, choosing to obey God rather than man. Uh, the book of Daniel has a couple of stories of uh, when they made an edict uh, saying that they should only uh, pray to the king and not to any other god. Uh, Daniel had to choose that he was going to not do that because he knew praying to the Lord was part of what he should do. And so he did it and faced punishment and God uh, famously delivered him from that, from the, the, the lion's den. Um, and there's others throughout the New Testament as well, one we'll look at in just a minute. But the principle is we try, we do our best, uh, but when you have a law that's given by God and, and He tells, commands you to do something, and you have a government that sets up a law that's directly opposed to that, uh, we have to come down on God's side. Don't know if we'll ever get to that point in this country, we may. Um, but we, we, as people of faith, choose to obey God rather than men. Let's look at Acts chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Uh, <clears throat> we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. 
And I think this, this principle you'll see lived out in the book of Acts. Now, they tried to ob abide by the law and obey the laws whenever they could, uh, but uh, ultimately we serve the highest authority. And uh, when, it's, when it's a choice between the authority of God and the authority of men, we've got to come down on God's side. Sometimes there's consequences to that. There may be. Uh, we there gotta, may be. We've got to be ready to handle those consequences. And fortunately, we live in a time when we don't have much persecution or decisions like that to make. We're probably going to get more in the future. Yeah. But the uh, Bible's got lots of good examples, like you said, of folks that made that choice and mm -hmm. obeyed God. Let's take just a moment to talk about a good way to study the Bible. We have some free Bible study materials that uh, we think are a great way to get familiar with your Bible. We know we've got a lot of viewers who are good Bible students and study the Bible all the time and have their own methods and maybe they just read the Bible straight through every year or uh, some reading schedule. Uh, but we also get a lot of viewers that don't know how to get started in Bible study. So we've got some courses that make that pretty easy. Uh, you see the first course that we offer on the screen right now. And, uh, there are eight lessons in that. Good way to study the Bible. Good non-denominational Bible study. It just teaches you about your Bible, starting with the Old and the New Testament. So we offer that absolutely free of charge. All you have to do is call the phone number, log on to the website, tell us you'd like that free course, and we'll get it started for you. All right, got a question about different religions. If you ever want to know what does the Bible say about the different types of religions, and why are others so different? from Christian beliefs. Well, I don't think we've got time to teach a comparative religion course here, uh, which is an interesting thing to do and talk about where other religions came from and what they're like and what they teach and all that. But if you ever want to know, uh, what's the Bible say about it? Well, the Bible doesn't specifically address other religions. Uh, the Old Testament talked about other gods a lot. Uh, Baal and Ashtoreth and all sorts of pagan gods and the Bible does, the Old Testament does mention those and says that people are supposed to worship Jehovah not the pagan gods uh, to stay away from those pagan religions. The New Testament uh, doesn't mention specific religions so much as it does just kind of generic false teaching. It talks a lot about false teachers. Uh, and specifically, the ultimate false teaching is to deny that Jesus is the Christ. And there are a lot of religions today that do that, of course. Uh, so the Bible doesn't specifically address many religions as such. Uh, the second part of the question is, why are other religions so different from Christianity? Well, uh, I, to get to the root of why they're different, is because Christianity uh, comes from God, and all other religions come from man. Uh, that's where other religions come from, is men dream them up, come up with them, find something else to worship, to follow, to guide life. Um, we're born with an innate desire to want to worship something. Uh, we're born with the innate desire to want to figure out what life's about. Uh, the rest of the animal life on the planet doesn't consider that kind of thing, but man does. Uh, we wonder about things, and so men come up with their own ideas. And that's why they're so different, is because they are men's ideas. 
and some of them take parts of the Bible and parts of Christianity and add their own twist to it. Uh, some are just completely anti-biblical and based on uh, man's own ideas or a specific man. There's religions like that. Uh, so that's the main difference, the real root difference of why they're so completely different. Uh, of course, Christianity compared to all the other major religions of the world is different because we have a risen Savior. Uh, all the other founders of religions are dead in their grave. Uh, our founder is not dead in his grave anymore. So that's the one big difference between Christianity and all other religions. But whether they're from God or from man, that's what makes the big difference. Okay, so when asked a language question about the scriptures, how many languages were the scriptures originally written in? Well, there's basically two. Uh, the Old Testament was written uh, largely in Hebrew. There's a little bit of Aramaic in there, so maybe you could consider that uh, two. But uh, the, the New Testament was, was written in what is called the Koine Greek, which simply means the common Greek. And it was designed to be uh, the people's language. It was very common and there was uh, not, I mean, it was, it was not difficult to understand. So it was uh, basically two languages that comprise the majority of the Old and New Testament. As far as the original language, you can find Hebrew Old Testaments and Greek New Testaments, and sometimes they have a, a, a transliteration underneath it. Uh, you'll find that those are very difficult to read because there's some changes over the, the language. And of course, the Koine Greek is a, a language that's no longer in existence. Um, now, well, you, okay, we don't have any of that, obviously, in the English translations. Um, what's interesting to me is that in Acts chapter 2, uh, as the church begins, the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles. They begin to speak in tongues, and those tongues were other languages. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 8, the remark is made, How is it, uh, now, uh, then how is it that each of us hears these in his own native language. And so the Spirit allowed them, before modern translations came into exist, to speak the gospel in actual languages that were understood by other people. And there were Jews from all over the world there gathered for Pentecost, and they were able to hear the good news of Jesus in their own language, and then, of course, hopefully to take that back to the other lands and nations. So to start with, it was just two, uh, but today the Bible has been translated into well over a thousand languages, and they're working on more and more languages every day. Alrighty, thank you, Toby. Question about the end of things here. Viewer wants to know when Jesus comes back, is he going to destroy the earth? Uh, one of the easiest questions we ever got because the Bible answers it directly. The answer is, yep, he's going to destroy the earth. And let's go to Second Peter, uh, chapter three, verses ten and eleven. And Peter starts off the day of the Lord. That's the way the Bible talks about it, the day when he comes back. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Uh, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, Peter tells us very directly and very succinctly, uh, yes, on the day of the Lord when Jesus comes back, Everything's going to be vaporized somehow. 
And his conclusion is, since that's going to happen to this earth, uh, what kind of people ought you to be? How, how should you live your life? Well, obviously, if you think this earth is uh, going to last forever and uh, this is what it's all about, then you live a different kind of life than if you know everything here is going to be destroyed. So I better get ready for the next life. Uh, so yes, the answer is yes. Now, why if somebody asked that is because there are people that teach, uh, that take a premillennial view of things and think that Jesus is going to come back and rule on the earth and set up a kingdom and a throne in Jerusalem and we're going to live on this earth for a thousand years or seven years or there's all kinds of theories. But uh, no, the Bible talks about the day of the Lord not multiple coming backs, but the day of the Lord. He's going to come back, going to destroy everything. Uh, we're going to be caught up to be with Him in the air. Judgment's going to happen. And then there's going to be what the Bible calls a new heavens and a new earth uh, where we're going to spend eternity. And what that's going to be like and how it's going to look and all that is a wonderful thing to wonder about and dream about. But we just don't know. It, it's going to be new and different somehow. It's going to be suitable for our spiritual bodies. And God's going to create that for us and we're going to live there. But this old earth, this universe as we know it, uh, nope, going to be melted, <laughs> going to go away. <laughs> so, yes, that's a yes on that one. We take this moment and invite you to visit a church of Christ near you. We are sponsored by the Churches of Christ, and uh, they help keep us on the air. And it's one reason we never ask for money on this program is because we've got a lot of good supporters at Churches of Christ around the country. And we want to mention two today. Uh, in central Kansas, uh, if you live around the Hutchison area, the Eastward Church of Christ, uh, which you see on the screen there, is one of our uh, partners in the St. John, Kansas congregation. A great bunch of folks there that have been a long-time supporter of Know Your Bible and helped keep us on the air. And we like to thank both of those and uh, invite you to give them your thanks. If you live in one of those communities and know some folks that go to one of those churches, maybe, uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible and add your thanks to ours. Of course, if you're looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed at any Church of Christ. may also mention a coming event coming up pretty soon here in April. Uh, the Women Walking with God Conference is sponsored by the Northside Church of Christ, the home church of Know Your Bible. Uh, it's been going on for over a decade and has grown to a major women's event. So if you ladies are looking for some spiritual uh, activities and a lot of fun also. Uh, mark your calendar and get on that website and find out the details. Uh, great event. People come from all over the country to enjoy that ladies' conference. So you're invited. All right, Toby, what's your viewer after here? Okay, they want to know how we reconcile some verses. Uh, how do you reconcile baptizing in the name of Jesus with baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, for some viewers, they may say, what in the world are you talking about? And there are some people who have uh, sort of take issue and they want to, when you baptize someone, you have to say it exactly right, get on an exact formula, and uh, they, they have a hard time acknowledging any other baptism done in any other way. The problem is that Scripture uh, gives a leeway for both, and uh, both 
ideas are both sayings or scriptural. And furthermore, there's not an exact template given in the Bible in terms of exactly what is said at a baptism. That has more to do for the benefit of those witnessing than anyone else. But let's read some scripture. Matthew 28, verses, verse starting in verse 19. Jesus himself says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, for those who are uh, wanting to just baptize in the name of Jesus only, uh, I mean, if you have an issue with that, uh, saying the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the person you take it up with is Jesus because He's the one who gave this command in Matthew 28:19. So, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right, I think the point is uh, why Jesus said it and Peter referenced it is that we want people to understand that the presence of God, the, the <clears throat> Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three present together and are part of this transformation from one who's dead in sin to alive with Christ. I don't think the point is uh, that you have to say it exactly a certain way. So you're asking me to reconcile and say, which pick a verse, which one's right? And the answer is yes. We believe both and think that either way are fine. There's no exact formula in the scriptures. Nope, some people get old bothered about that and what you've got to say exactly and all that. And I always wonder, why would God make you say something specific? Uh, what if a mute person wanted yeah. to be, uh, be involved in a baptism? Yeah. Well, how do you do that? Yeah. So uh, God just doesn't operate that way, making some formula that you have to say. All right, let's talk about the last question we got time for, I think, today. Does the Bible say anything about the appearance of Jesus? And I assume they mean the physical appearance of Jesus. What did he look like? Does the Bible say anything about that? And the Bible does not say anything about that. There is one prophecy that some people say, well, that tells us something about what Jesus looked like. So let's look at that together in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2. And this is a prophecy about the Messiah. And one of the things Isaiah says was he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So basically that says, no, there's nothing special about Jesus about his appearance. Uh, he was just an average looking fellow, probably quite different than what we usually see him in movies and pictures. Uh, he was probably a lot shorter than we think he was, and uh, he was obviously looked like an average Jewish man in the first century. Uh, most movies have got him six foot three, Caucasian with beautiful hair and and all that. Uh, I don't think he looked like that. He he blended in pretty well and was an average looking fellow for his time. Let's make sure we get our uh, trivia question answered today. See if you know this one: Who prepared the way? For Jesus, and most of you probably got that one right, it was John the Baptizer. Uh, he was sent specifically to prepare the way for Jesus and tell people that the Messiah was coming. And he let them know that, and he attracted a lot of attention. People came to hear what John had to say, and he baptized lots of people, which is why he's called John the Baptizer. 
Glad you've been with us today, and we're out of time for questions, but we're going to be back next week and see if we can get some more of them answered, so we hope you can come back then. Uh, if you haven't signed up for that correspondence course, log on or call us and let us get that started for you. Glad you've been with us today. Come back next week. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.